Success stories and interviews with game changers and thought leaders who have overcome both in life and in business. Welcome to Vertical Momentum. Hey guys, welcome to Vertical Momentum, a Monday night edition. First time ever using StreamYard. And I just want to thank Christopher for hooking me up and teaching me all this stuff. I'm a low-tech redneck, so it takes me a while to learn stuff. So first I want to welcome my brother, uh, Army veteran, also fellow 19 Delta. But now he's a vetrepreneur helping change people's lives in the business space. So. Christopher, my brother, welcome. How are you? Doing well, brother. Just want to say thank you so much for for having me on and letting me share a little bit with you. I know you've definitely uh, had some real big names that you talked to here recently, and so it's just an honor to be able to you know be counted amongst such people and be able to have a conversation with you, man. It's really awesome. Well, you, know, you and Liam uh, really changed my life and my business. About a month ago, I had a chance to go to Myrtle Beach to be with my parents, and on the flight. Um, I read your book, DD214 Secrets, and it really changed my life and changed my business. So we're definitely going to hop into that a little bit because um, I, I think it's an amazing book. Everybody should own it, by the way. Uh, so talk, talk, where did you come from? Uh, what state were you born in? And what kind of little boy were you? What kind of kid were you? Yeah. <laughs> Go back to the roots. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, so I was born and raised in the Catskill Mountains of New York. I was actually born in the town of Catskill before they closed down that hospital. Uh, I spent the first 17 years of my life growing up in those mountains. I, you know, For all extensive purposes, I had an amazing childhood. Uh, I didn't really want for anything. I did well in school um, until about 14 years old. I guess we always we all have a, a phase we go through. Right. And so uh, mine was at 14. Um, found out some information about life and my parents and things like that, that kind of flipped my world upside down. And I guess you could say I kind of rebelled because of it. Um, So at 14, I stopped taking school so seriously, started getting more involved in the party scene. And I lived in a really, really small town. So there really wasn't much to do besides bonfires and drinking in the woods anyway. So got into that scene pretty early, um, ended up affecting a little bit of my schooling. And uh, my parents decided, you know, if you're going to continue down this path, uh, we're not going to, you know, help help you to go to college. Um, so despite them, I, I graduated at 17 and had them sign the paperwork so I could join the Army. So what was it? Because um, I love to hear everybody's recruiting story. Uh, what was it that made you want to join the Army and not the Navy, the Marines or any, anything else? Uh, mainly family history, I would think, um, you know, so my, my, my grandfather on my mother's side served in the army. My grandfather on my father's side, he was a submariner in World War II, so he was Navy. Um, but my, one of my dad's really good friends growing up, my dad um, was in and out of the rooms and still is to this day. And so a lot of his friends from AA, I got to know really well and call uncle. One of those gentlemen was a guy named Vernon and he was a combat engineer for the army. And I literally looked up to that gentleman and a lot of the things that he was able to accomplish in his life before he had a pretty bad bout with addiction and uh his oldest son joined the military unfortunately he died in a car accident and was taken from us very early but i just i had a lot of representation of like when someone did something really well in their life it usually stemmed from the discipline they gained inside the service um and so when 9 11 happened i was still in school i was still in high school um and it kind of shook me at the core i lost family in the trade towers and it was just at that point, you know, college wasn't going to be a thing. I was angry. I wanted to go get some revenge. Uh, so when it all said and done, a recruiter actually called me um, and I went and checked it out. And from there, I was like, let's do this thing. So went and, you know, got did the ASVAB and scored pretty well, but decided I wanted to do combat arms anyway, but chose recon instead of just being a grunt. So what made you decide, you know, because you know, if you, a lot of people that high, they score high on their ASVABs, um, they usually go, try to stay away from 11 Bravo, 19 Delta. You know, they try to, to do something else. So what made you want to go into combat arms? Was it just to, to be able to get exact some revenge and kick some ass? 
You know, it's it's funny because not many people ever ask me that. And it's something that most people probably wouldn't peg me for. Um, growing up, I, I, I've been an animal lover my whole life. And I can still remember the exact point in my life where I wanted to be a marine biologist. Like that's my that was my goal. I, I went to a Shamu show when I was very, very young and I watched everyone swimming with the orcas back when they could, you know, back before we knew any better. And I was like, that's something I really want to do. And I, I told my father that. And my father, you know, long story short, I was pretty young. I don't remember the exact verbiage, but he said to me along the lines that you don't want to do that. You'll never make any money. No one will ever respect you. You'll never go far in life. Like if you want to do something, you want to you know, be a badass or you want to be rich. And I was like, OK, um, well, college isn't in my future. So badass it is. <laughs> and so um, I decided that despite the fact that I was a pretty intelligent guy and that I could have chose other jobs, I wanted to do something that I perceived to be badass. And to me, uh, you know, the recruitment video of the dirt bikes and riding around and sneaking around and you know being a recon, that seemed something badass to me. So I wanted to go ahead and do it. So that's that's why I joined Combat Arms over any other branch is because growing up or any other, other MOS, sorry, uh, it's because growing up, my father told me if you wanted to be successful, you had to be one of two things. And so I chose the one that seemed like it was going to be the more, like, easy, not easier one, but the more capable one for me to do. Now, for me, you know, everybody knows my story, knows that, you know, 9-11 really affected me. It changed my whole trajectory of my life. And where I'm sitting right now, um, if I go sit on my front, my front step, I can see where the Twin Towers once stood. So talk to us about what that feeling was that Tuesday. You were probably in school because you were in high school back then. Yep. But what feeling was like, um, not just seeing it on TV, but knowing people that were in it. it. It was So I was pretty young. I hadn't really experienced loss in my life just yet. You know, I still had my grandparents, my, my, my parents, everybody in my life. Um, so for me, it was it was almost unreal. Um, it didn't really hit me until we actually had to go to funerals. And that's when it got real that something crazy had happened. Because I just remember sitting there in math class. I was in math class in my high school and, and again, upstate New York. And I remember, you know, so the, the kid running into the door, opening the door and yelling that the you know, World Trade Center just got hit by a plane. Um, and so no one like really believed it. But the teacher went and turned the TV on. And lo and behold, there it was on the TV. It was real. Um, and then within two hours of that first plane hitting, the, they had the school shut down. They had us all in the auditorium, early dismissal. Everyone got sent home. Um, and then, you know, trying to kind of gauge my parents' emotions. My dad was completely distraught. My mother was incredibly upset. And I'm trying to, like, just kind of quantify the whole thing. Like, what's really happening? Like, I, I, we lost people, but, like, our nation's under attack. I don't get it, right? And so... For me, I was I was young and I didn't even know how to, to process it. Um, it wasn't until months later that I started really becoming angry and, and and wanting to do something about it. But at the time, I was just it felt unreal to me. Now, where did you go to basic training? Fort Knox, Kentucky. So what was that like being a kid, a kid from you know the mountains of uh, New York going to Kentucky and being for me, it was hard because, you know, I was a street punk. I had a big mouth and uh, I, I kind of, I got, they tortured me. So what was it like? What was your experience like at basic? Humbling. And I needed it because just like you, um, I was just, I was a bit of a punk, you know, uh, I grew up in a really small town and because of, you know, my father's mindset of be rich or be tough, uh, I wasn't messed with very much because I, I made sure that I was pretty tough. Um, but when I went to the military, um, I realized that I was a very, very small fish in a very big pond, right? Like I might've been the big fish in my small pond, but there's an ocean out there and I'm pretty tiny. And so it humbled me, you know, getting, getting my ass smoked every day and, and not being able to, you know, wisecrack or be my normal self, you know, break me down and build me back up. Uh, it was a humbling experience. And I do not, I truly do not believe I would be anywhere near where I am today in life with anything if I hadn't gone through that too. You know, but for me, one of the best things that the military ever did for me was open my mind to the world. You know, again, I grew up in a really small town in upstate New York, and we had no African-American people in my school. We had a couple of Hispanics, one Chinese. It was mainly white people. And so I grew up in a, in a world where we never like really learned to socialize with other beliefs, other religions, other uh, ethnic groups. Right. And so for me 
joining the military was like a crash course in what the world really was. It, it no more, you know, small town politics or, you know, everybody knows each other's business kind of thing. Now it's, it's like real world. And that to me was one of my greatest experiences in my life. I've, I, to this day, um, it, it changed me. It changed who I was and how I looked at the world. Um, and I'm forever grateful for that. So after you get out of, did you get deployed at all? Yes. Yep. Um, so in 06 to 07, I was in Afghanistan. I uh, served with the uh, 371 cab at a 10th mountain. I was part of Bravo troop and uh, we, we did serve over there. Um, ultimately, uh, I did not make the full tour. I was injured in August 14th of 2006, uh, flatlined due to respiratory failure um, and was medevaced to Germany. Uh, I was put there. I was there on life support for about a week before I finally woke up, sent me back to Walter Reed immediately after that. And then within a few months, they had me out of the, you know, completely ETS out of the army. So now for me, you know, I've talked to hundreds of people on the show now and a lot of them, when they get out, not only do you lose your job, you lose your camaraderie and you lose your mission. Um, and for a lot of, a lot of people like myself, we go to, we go down a deep, dark hole. Uh, what was your transitioning like? I guess, you know, the self-fulfilling prophecy of the veteran, unfortunately, um, it, when I first got out, I had, you know, I have a TBI, which doctors and neurologists told me that good luck, you know, being successful, good luck controlling your emotions, good luck remembering things. Like I was, I was basically fled, fed this plate of good luck. <laughs> Good luck with life now um and that i should be really fortunate that at least the government's going to pay me for the rest of my life i'll collect a disability check that was that was my send-off from the military um and so along with 11 pills a day that they had prescribed me at that time so um to say that i self-destructed that i was a walking nightmare of a person would be an understatement um you know for the better part of a decade after i got out of the military i was abusing drugs i was drinking my life away i was getting in fights i was getting arrested um you know i wasn't being a very effective member of society at all if a member of society would be that'd be a stretch to even say that um you know most of my time was spent locked in my house and when i did go out it's probably because i was drunk or on some sort of you know xanax or other chemical and usually resulted in me getting in trouble of some sort. So it was not a very pretty picture. You know, I was 19 years old when I got hurt overseas. I had no college education, no real world experience. And I was told by doctors that, you know, good luck. Um, so for me, I had no future. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. I was lucky to be collecting a disability check. That, that was what I accepted. Um, I'm very fortunate and grateful this, to this day that there are people in my life who cared about me enough to not let me accept that for the rest of my life. Uh, Cause without their belief in me, I, I wouldn't be alive today. You know, I'm also, I've, I've listened to enough of your, your stuff, Richard, it's absolutely amazing. And I, I really relate to you because I've been through the addictions. I'm also a suicide survivor. I also have the TBI and we're armorers. So I feel like <laughs> we got a lot in common brother. Um, yeah. But yeah, for me, for the better part of a decade after I got out, it was drug addiction and any kind of self-destruction I could get myself into. Um, and I'll tell you, I did group therapy. I did individual therapy. I did medications. I did it all. I was trying to, in my mind, I was trying to get help. Um, but at the end of the day, for me personally, and I'm not going to say this is a cure-all for anybody, but this is what worked for me. I stopped trying to mask the problem and I started addressing it directly, right? The the group therapy and the the individual therapy was, wasn't addressing the pain. It was just allowing me to relive it. Uh, it was letting me relive it, but it wasn't giving me any actionable steps to move forward. And that was more hurtful than helpful. Um, the medications obviously are just a Band-Aid. You know, to map, put Xanax in your body to feel more comfortable is just a Band-Aid. Uh, hydrocodones, all, they're all the same thing. It's a Band-Aid to a bigger problem. And so for me, I had to start addressing the survivor's guilt. I had to start, start addressing um, you know, the, the false beliefs that I had, that I was broken, that I was less than, that I was a shell of a man, that I was never going to be successful. Like I had to start addressing the story I was telling myself that kept me where I was and kept me stuck in this endless cycle of self-destruction. And it was once I was able to do that, that life drastically changed for me. And I started to see opportunity everywhere 
rather than just play a big victim all the time. Now being, you know, you come out, you're 19, you're not even able to drink yet. Nope. And you, now you're, you know, you're out on, you're out on, you're pretty much out of the military. Um, now they got you hooked on all kinds of crap. Um, so what kind of job were you holding down or were you still just collecting disability? So, yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I, tr I did, I did attempt to do more with my life in those times. Uh, I tried going to ITC tech to get a degree. Uh, I didn't even make it a full day before I had a complete breakdown, anxiety attack, had to leave and they medically withdrew me from college. Um, ITT tech actually tried to sue me for that. Luckily, the VA and everybody went up, went to bat for me, not the VA, but the American Legion uh, went to bat for me and, and helped me out. Class action lawsuit actually went against ITT tech instead. So that was kind of cool um, that we know there are organizations out there that still have our back. Uh, but, you know, I tried college, did not work for me. Um, just what, too overwhelming, too much stimulus at that time in my life. I wasn't ready for it. Um, so I couldn't do it. And then I was offered a job because I was a veteran to, to manage a local grocery store. And I just, I, I got angry too easy. You know, when someone would show up late or give me an excuse or, you know, in the military, we don't tolerate that, as you know. And so when I would hear that stuff, it'd be like, no, just go home. You're not getting paid today. And apparently, you know, we're supposed to give warnings and stuff in the civilian world and, and be a little bit nicer and coddle people a little bit more. And I just wasn't prepared for that. I was just too angry still. So I, I, I basically collected disability and stayed in my house and just withered away to nothing for a long time. So what was, you know, because I know 9-11 was my come to Jesus moment, literally. Um, what was your moment when you're like, when you got sick and tired of being sick and tired and said, all right, I've had enough of this shit. I need to get myself together. What was that moment? Can you remember the exact moment when you, when you had that feeling? So I, I think it was, it was two separate moments. One got me sober and the other one got me moving towards success. So the first one, I was in Kentucky. I uh, was at my you know, living down there with my uncle at the time. I was, I was running for myself always. So I was constantly on the move. Um, and I remember waking up and looking myself in the mirror. I just got done with like a 14 day. It was, it was an intense Oxycontin binge and I couldn't even recognize myself in the mirror. And I, and I looked at myself and I said, you can keep doing this and die, or you can get a grip on yourself. And I, I don't know what had come over me. I think I was just sick and tired of, of chasing and, and, and not getting anywhere in the long run. And I remember looking myself in the mirror in, in that apartment in Kentucky and deciding right then and there that enough was enough. Um, you know, I was going to give it, give it a real shot to, to get off these, these, all these medications to get off all these narcotics and really bring my life together. Um, but for, I, I'll be honest with you, it didn't happen overnight. Like I, I battled still with prescriptions and alcohol and other things for another good two years. Um, until ultimately I finally got myself into an inpatient rehab, got myself completely sober. And to this day, unless it's, you know, I do use medical cannabis. Like it's one of the reasons I don't have to take the 11 pills any day, every day anymore. So that's, that's it. It's, it's medical cannabis for me. I have to take my seizure pills, my Keppra, uh, to keep a license. But other than that, I don't have to take any more of those crazy narcotics. And with the inventions of, you know, not the invention of, but the advancements in the hemp and CBD world, now I can even get those same effects without getting high. So that's, I mean, there's no excuses anymore, right? There's really no excuses. Um, when it comes to, you know, getting what you need and not having to get all messed up to do so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm starting to lose myself a little bit on that, but I had to to figure out, you know, what I really wanted in life. And so I, I got myself sober and then my wife now became my fiance. Then uh, she was moving to Arizona. She was actually looking to move so that she could finish her degree. We went cross country together and decided to move to Arizona. Moving to Arizona was the culmination of getting off those 11 pills, actually getting on a me medical marijuana program, changing my life around. We got pregnant with our, my, our first son. One of, I have three children now, but my oldest just turned seven a couple of days ago. And uh, we got pregnant with him. And that was, that was the real turning point for me. You know, up until that point, like I, I was trying to figure myself out. I knew I could do better. I was slowly working my way there. But when I held that little boy in my arms for the first time, I knew that I had to draw a line in the sand and I had to become a better man. And I just didn't know what it looked like. I just knew that it was I was done. And so I, I didn't you know, I wasn't even drinking. I stopped doing all of that stuff. 
and it was at a barbecue hanging out with a buddy a really good friend of mine and he asked me to start a business with him and didn't believe i could do it have no college background no business training and so i was like yeah that's funny why would you want me um, but i brought it up to my wife and my wife said you should do it she she said you would be awesome at that you should do it and so with their belief in me because i didn't have any in myself i decided to become an entrepreneur um that was uh, five years ago now when i started my first business that business was mobile auto glass repair and replacement right here in arizona where i live now and we did really well uh we did over six figures that first year we were you know staying busy with work the problem for me was that i was always busy with work like i i was literally handcuffed to that business there was there was no way i could walk away to the point where even though we were making really good money and living a you know successful life on paper um i was sending my family on vacations without me and it all came to a culmination you know ahead if you will uh, my oldest now he was two back then he walked into my office and he said daddy why don't you want to play with me and i just i lost it uh, i lost it I, I started balling um i was trying to figure out where i went wrong because like i said on paper i'm successful I own a business, I'm married, my kids are healthy, uh, we own our own home, like everything like on paper screams success. I've, I've made it, but I'm completely hollow inside and I'm not even, my family doesn't even know where I exist. Um, and so that's when I decided it's, you know, that, I didn't really decide in that moment, I'll be honest with you, the universe seems to always provide me with an answer when I'm willing to listen. And, you know, some people, everyone has their own belief systems and I believe that the universe provides. Um, when you ask, the universe provides and i was actually talking to my son about this this morning i said be careful what you ask for because you're always going to get it all right so in that moment of me bawling my eyes out and trying to figure out where i went wrong and how i could do something better more effective in my life uh an ad showed up on youtube literally the music that i was listening to in the background on youtube stopped an ad popped up and it was for a company that was teaching the skills of digital sales and marketing I, I was listening intently. I loved everything I was hearing. It made sense. I knew that if I could figure it out, it would be the answer for me. The problem was the course cost $10,000 and I did not have that money. So I, I talked to my wife about it, figured some things out. We had really good credit. So I ended up taking out a loan. I ended up getting a loan six months interest-free, borrowed $2,000 from my sister for a down payment, dropped the down payment, grabbed the loan, jumped into that education and it completely changed my life to this day it is the skill set that i call my occupation uh it is made me over a million dollars online and it's what i teach veterans to do every single day to do it for themselves it's it's been a godsend all right so now we'll talk about business a little bit you know a lot of times you know we're, we're both involved in the same some of the same groups you know i'm involved in ovf now thank you thank you thank you um and I'm, I'm glad to be part of the inner circle but um you know a lot of times when somebody gets out of the military you know they want to start a t-shirt company hat company liquor or coffee and then six months later they're ten thousand dollars in debt and don't know what the hell just happened and i think one thing you know like one one of my friends Stephen coon always says if you don't have a business plan you don't have a business you have a hobby um, so, and I think one of the good thing about, you know, like JLD was talking about yesterday, um, is when you're in the military, we know how to write an op order. You know, we know how to follow an SOP, but when we get out and start our businesses, we forget how to write an op order or an SOP. So talk to us about some of the things you've seen since you've been an entrepreneur for the last five years, the people that are successful and the people that are not so successful? Yeah, it, I love this question, Richard, because success is not a fantasy. It's not a mystery. Success is a science. And it's a, there's a proven formula that you can follow to achieve it. You know, uh, we talk about it in the book. Other people have talked about it. It's nothing new. It's just how can you relate to the information, absorb the information, take action on the information, right? Because the information is tried and true since the beginning of time. You need to have a strong why to get anything going, right? Number one thing, businesses, 80% of businesses fail. Why? Because they didn't have a strong why. Like they, they started with the how and the who and the what, but not the why. 
And, you know, I'm not the one who invented this whole thing. Like I said, it's been tried and true since the beginning of time. But what I have seen is that every successful business that I've personally worked with or studied has started with a why. And that why will evolve over time, but it's always the leading factor in, in the driving force in everything that they do. You know, um, another big thing that, that I see uh, between the successful and the non-successful, is their ability to take instruction and apply it. You know, one thing that I think is like a epidemic, like a, a true pandemic, to kind of steal the word for a minute, is that we live in the, the information age, but we've never been so ignorant. Yeah. You know, it's insane how much information is available to us if we are willing to pursue it, but so many people would rather just take the easy route. So many people would rather take someone else's opinion for it or read someone else's review of it, or, you know, it, it would literally take some, some people another 15, 20 minutes of their life to do a little bit more investigating, a little bit more research on their own to really come to a real conclusion. And so, you know, I find that when it comes to success, pe successful people and non-successful people, it really comes down to, you know, their why and then their willingness to actually think for themselves and go out there and, and apply what they learned. Um, yeah. You know, like I, I was interviewing a gentleman yet the other day where he actually sets up like Tony Robbins events and, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk's events. And he says he sees the same people coming back year after year to see Tony and Gary and they never act upon what they're being taught. He called them, um, I, I forget, event junkies. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like when I got your book, I mean, like now from whenever like. I got your book and I got JLD's book the same weekend. So I would just study my ass off. But, you know, if if you get a book and you just read it and you don't apply it, it's no good. It's like watching a movie. You know, just once you watch a movie, it's over. You see another one. But but your book wasn't like that. And I think one of the, th the biggest thing that hit me, because it, it was like you and JD were talking in one ear. You, JD, and Liam were in my head for like, five days scary scary place to be <laughs> but, uh, you know but what you guys talk about in the in the book um dd214 secrets was and just like jd was talking about you know sometimes you have to go an inch wide but you got to go a mile deep mm -hmm. and you have to figure out like you said you got to figure out who your avatar and your perfect customer is and i think that's where 90 percent of the people that own businesses, they don't know who they're marketing to. You know, they're just like in the whole, in the military, you know, you, you pray and spray. But I think mm -hmm. in business, you got to be a sniper. Agreed. So talk to us about, you know, uh, like for me, I had to, after you you guys all got, got in my head, I had to figure out who my perfect avatar was into, into including making a name up for him. So mm -hmm. now everything I do is for Craig. Yeah. You know, so talk to us about having to niche down until it hurts. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, I love that you named it because we also have Joe and then we also have James. We have two J's, two different avatars who we talk to, right? Because we do two different things. We, we help veterans who are without purpose, without mission, without that drive after the military, without a way to get moving forward. The book and the courses and everything that we build is to help that person, right? But we also have people like Chris Wilson who have a business now and are looking to take that business to another level. Right. And so we help them with, with that aspect as well. And so but at the end of the day, whether you're just starting a business or you're going you know, from 10 million to 100 million, the, the big thing is the messaging you're using. Right. It's who you're talking to and how you're speaking to them. Right. It's 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 all in the mindset of when you can speak to someone's heart, they'll listen and move. Um, so one of the things that we we talk about really heavily inside of the inner circle coaching of OVF uh, is being really specific on your dream customer. Many different things that we call it, um, but understanding that when you can understand a person's emotions and why they move and what drives them, what makes them tick, you're much more likely to help that person and get them to move away from a pain and towards a desired outcome. Because at the end of the day, you could 
flash their desired outcome in front of them all day long. But if they don't have enough pain to move from where they currently stand, they never will. Right. And if you don't understand the person you're speaking to, if you don't speak to them directly, then no one moves. No one has enough pain to move forward. And it's a, a little bit of a warped way to look at it. And at first it was like, it was hard for me to kind of wrap my mind around it. But I've been doing this marketing thing long enough to understand that if you want to help people, you have to raise the pain level enough for them to actually move somewhere. Because 90% of the people won't until that pain is enough. <clears throat> and, you know, just like we, we said this a lot too, instead of OVF, because we run paid advertisements. We have sales funnels. We do email follow-up. We do all the things we teach inside of our business and we're like if you want to know if it works why are you here right 2600 plus veterans now inside of the ovf community i think it works right you know they wouldn't be there if it didn't if we couldn't speak to them directly same thing with chris wilson you know he does foreclosure clean out uh, and restoration that's his business <clears throat> and he was knocking doors he was talking to banks he was going crazy pulling his hair out trying to get one person to take him seriously he went through our dream customer training. He wrote an ad that spoke directly to that foreclosure real estate agent that he wanted to work with. And within 48 hours, that guy called him and he locked down an $87,000 contract because he stopped talking to everybody and anybody because he needed the sale. And he got really, really clear on who he actually wanted to work with, who would be fun to work with. And then he got rewarded more than he ever thought possible because he got real serious about it. And he's not like, He's just one example of that. You know, Joel Walters, he's also a team member of OVF now. Joel yeah. knew he wanted to help people. He knew he wanted to be a coach. He knew he wanted to help empower veterans and help them transition and be, you know, uh, bounce back from trauma. But he didn't know what it looked like. But he got really specific on what it looked like. And he built a course from scratch and launched it. Sold, actually sold it to people for you know, money, got money in exchange for value from nothing to a core audience that now he is living in his biggest passion. You know, he's traveling around doing retreats, facilitating, coaching. He's he's getting to live his best life because he got clear on who he wanted to serve, why he wanted to serve him. And then the, the how and the what just showed up for him. You know, and I love, you know, like what you guys talked about, you know, you talk about in the book because I love, like I said, I love the book. And I've read it three times now and I got it all marked up and all pages all. Mm -hmm. That's why I'm not a big Kindle guy. I'd rather have a book where I can mark it and use the marker on it. But one thing I love about, you know, is, you know, how a lot of people, they don't know their analytics. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like for me, you know, thank God, thank God, Spotify. Love you guys. You guys are amazing. Uh, I can go and I can find, I know exactly you know, who my audience is, age, gender, where they're from. And and I then when I do my Facebook uh, marketing, I can go directly after those people. So I'm not praying and spraying. So talk a little bit about, you know, learning how to use your analytics to make you money instead of just because I was talking to a friend of mine. I mean, we built his business up from 400,000 to 1.4 million in three years. Wow. But when, when I was talking to him, because now business is starting to slump because of Amazon and all that, I said, you know, who do you think your, who do you think your ideal customer is? And he told me, and then we went into some of his social media and we pulled up the analytics and it was totally different than he thought. Yeah. So now we have a plan to go after his targeted demographic. So talk to us about using analytics for your business. So analytics are my best friend and they should be yours too. Because here's why. I'm not a I'm not a smart man, but when you understand how to read the numbers, when you understand how to look at your metrics and your data, you don't have to be a smart man. You just need to know fifth grade math and you can succeed. Um, so what I've learned is that especially using Facebook, because Facebook's where I've mastered my paid advertisement. I'm not not any by any means want anybody on this call to think that like I understand Google ads or or any of that my my mastery comes with Facebook ads. And so one thing that I've learned is that there's key metrics inside of every campaign that you run. 
And based upon the numbers inside that key metric, you know exactly what you need to change inside of your advertising to make it more effective. We call it split testing. This is probably going to be a little high level for some people on the call. Some of you might get it. It's perfectly fine. Um, but this is something that we reserve for our inner circle. It's called split testing. And so I'll just give you kind of a brief overview of how it works. Um, I'm not going to really dive into it again. It's a really detailed process. But what you do is, for example, on Facebook, if you're running an ad, you have key metrics that you can look at, like link clicks. But there's also things that are called like click through rate, which is mm -hmm. really powerful, something, a metric that every marketer should know. There's yeah. also a click through rate all or a CTR all that we take, we take into account too. And for you guys, I'm going to give you, if you've got a pen and paper, write this down because this is going to be uh, something that will, will save you a lot of money inside of your, your marketing. Uh, if your CTR all is low, it means that you're, you're not, you have no stopping power. You're not grabbing attention. You're not stopping someone's scroll. So your CTR all directly correlates with your ability to stop someone's scroll and get their attention. So if that number is below like an 8%, you are, you need to raise that number, which means the one thing you need to start changing and the only thing you should be changing until you improve it is the headline or the image you're using that actually grabs their attention, thumbnail or headline. Number two, two things you got to improve to make that metric go up. Once that metric goes up, everything I do flows, right? Everything is a funnel to me. So everything has to flow together. So it starts with my ability to stop someone and get their attention. That's my CTR all. The next thing I want to know is if they're stopping, how long are they staying and are they actually clicking through? So that's your click-through rate. On average, most businesses, you're gonna have like a one to 3% click-through rate if you're doing well. Above a 3% click-through rate, you're doing better than 90% of the businesses on Facebook, all right? It's not, these are, these are games of large numbers. These are not like set it and we're good to go. Like we have to adjust and, and use data to really hone ourselves in and laser focus our ads, right? But once you can get those two metrics in, once you can grab attention and convert that attention to a landing page or to an offer or to a webinar or whatever you're selling, so if you can get them to go there, now you know you have a functioning ad. Now you can go to the next step in the funnel, which is probably a landing page or some sort of website if you're not yet using the power of a funnel. Um, and so then you look at that. You look at page views compared to button clicks. And there's always a metric you can read that will directly tell you what you need to improve. Again, I'm not a smart guy, but I, I have numbers laid out in front of me that I learned to read that now every time I see them, I know exactly what I need to do to improve not only my business, but any business you put in front of me. That's why I'm such a sought after mentor. That's why I've helped people make tens of millions of dollars because I can see something and I'm not guessing. I'm not saying, oh, well, you should try this. I'm saying, no. Split test four more headlines until one works, and then I'll give you your next step. Right. And, I'm, I'm and, all about action. And a lot, you know, a lot of people think, you know, oh, well, I got to spend a lot of money on ads. You know, I got a friend, um, his name is Dennis Yu. I know Dennis. Um, Dennis, I know you Dennis know, I, affiliate you know, institute days. <laughs> yep. A great person, you know, mm -hmm. and he, I met him at uh, Mick DC, and he said, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money, but you have to get. You know, even if you spend a dollar a day, you're getting analytics, you're getting information, yep. even if for a buck a day, you know, you don't have to spend a lot of money until you learn how to do it right. You know, there's That's, no sense to 10 grand on an ad that you're not going to get any ROI on, you know? Yeah, and that's a great point, Richard. Amazing point. It's the number one thing, disbelief that a lot of our new students has. They're like, well, I don't have an ad budget. And I'm like, do you got 300 extra bucks this month? Because I can get your ads running. Right. When you're split testing and you're like the word testing means that it's not tried and true yet. You don't know if it's going to work. Right. So when you're testing, you're doing small increments like fifteen dollars or less per ad per day until you figure out what works. Then what you do what we call scaling the ad and you can put more money behind it. But there's also rules to that. You know, if you try to scale an ad too quickly and if you try to throw too much money at it too fast, it'll die. It'll lose this. It won't keep the same metrics it had at a lower budget. So there's there's the different things you have to learn and understand and things that I've learned through trial and error over the last several years that have allowed me to make a lot of really good money online where I'm not just like. And for example, like I know there's people online who understand, like when it comes to ad budgets, not everything I make is a profit because there's ad like marketing budget involved in that. But I want to be real with you guys. Like when I spend four thousand dollars in ads, I make thirty. 
right? Um, it's it's not small margins we're talking about. We're talking about real significant returns on investment when you split test and don't just guess. When you take the time to, to do it through the proven methods and follow the steps, it, it's it's a scientific, it, it's scientific. It's not a guess. It's like you could literally engineer your income. Now, one thing I love about the book, uh, it was a it was a term that you guys use evergreen. And I didn't know what the hell you were talking about. I'm thinking trees, you know. <laughs> so uh and but then I realized, you know, because I have I have a book out there, it's been out on Amazon for a while, and I forget I even have it. But you know, like you guys talk about, you know, now that product, you know, that that book that's out there, it can make me money in, until infinity. So talk to talk to us about, you know evergreen products yeah yeah so um a book and an evergreen product are, are slightly different right a book is evergreen regardless because it's it's there it's never going to go anywhere right it's physical copy pages are there never going anywhere you got that but what, I, what we're talking about in the book just for clarity everyone watch or listening and watching because we're on the on camera um we're talking about evergreen digital assets meaning that this podcast that uh, richard's recording right now is an evergreen asset when we're done he can pull clips from these conversations. He can break it down by question he asks. He can break it down by impactful thing he heard. He could break it down by all different things and repurpose it to get more attention, more subscribers, more views, and it becomes evergreen content on the internet. In a more course and business related aspect for like what we do, um, we can do a live training with 30 people, get those 30 people amazing results, get testimonials from those people about their amazing results, and then take that training and sell it for significantly less because it's not live, but also resell it so people can get the same value, but it's not live so they get it for a cheaper price, right? And so constantly just being able to reuse and recycle stuff. Um, you know, a little thing that most people don't know about is that this book was a year in the making to, to come together and actually bring to publishing. But from the time that we officially started writing it to the time that we were done was less than two weeks. It didn't take us very long to actually write it, but it took us a year to to actually try and experience and go through and troubleshoot everything in here with hundreds of veterans to actually know for a fact that it was going to be valuable and that it was going to be something that they could use. It was directly what we what they asked for and we gave them that they received value we put in here um which made writing the book itself a lot easier but it took a year of going through all of those trainings of helping and providing value to fully come up to the secrets that we chose to share in here the foundation of everything you know it, it's if you can get these five things down you become an unstoppable force in business hands down no matter what industry you're in no matter what product or service you're selling if you can get these five core principles down, you will dominate in the world of business. Well, I first, believe that. Now, how did you meet Liam? Because I love Liam. Liam, you're my boy. Love you. How did you meet Liam and how did you guys join forces? So Liam and I will actually meet in person for the first time this weekend at our, our live event. Um, however, Liam and I have known each other for well over a year and have been in business together for over a year now. Um, Liam reached out to me because I, I had placed an ad teaching veterans how to do affiliate marketing, how to generate leads and sales online, you know, th through a company that wasn't their own at that time. Um, that's how I've made majority. Of, that's how I made majority of my money. That's probably a, a good significant portion of my income right now too, is just affiliate offers that I have set up that are paying me passively. Um, but with Liam, he had just uh, gotten you know, taken off the streets. He was doing door-to-door -door sales for a, a home security business that he kind of fell into. Um, it was his first go into entrepreneurship. And when the leads dried up, so did his business. And so when he saw my ad about generating leads online, he reached out to me. And you know, at the time, couldn't afford the program I had going on. Uh, I'm a true believer that I want to help everybody. But if you don't have skin in the game, you never take it seriously. And all the true success stories that OVF has are people who invested in themselves and their future and didn't just look for a handout. And that's why to this day, I truly believe if you want to succeed, 
you have to have some skin in the game. But Liam at that time, he couldn't he couldn't put skin in the game. So he stayed in touch. We stayed in touch and we we remained friends and started chatting. And I started giving him little, you know, little tips on what he could do until he was able to actually jump on board with me one day. He reached out to me. He's like, I got the money. Let's do it. We set him up with his first campaign. He ran a $300 uh, Facebook ads campaign to generate leads. We got him quality leads for a dollar a lead. And he was able to turn a bunch of those into sales and make really good money. And from that point, he was hooked. He was like, I, I did it and I'm here to stay. Um, you know, after that, I said to him, you know, I, I'm pretty serious about helping veterans. I've tried it on my own in the past. It became too much for me uh, to do alone. And I'm looking for a team of other veterans who are just as passionate as I am to help help our brothers and sisters. Liam was the only person in that group who rose his hand and said he wanted to do it. And he's still to this day, the only, like, well, not the only one, but he's still to this day, the main driving force behind what we do. But it, it all came from literally me doing what I teach today, placing ads, running sales funnels, doing follow-up emails. That's how Liam met me. <laughs> it's kind of okay. crazy. So drop, drop a little knowledge about OVF, obviously OVF. Um, Thank you guys for letting me be in part of the inner circle. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, so talk to us about OVF, why you started it and what you guys have going on. Yeah, of course. So OVF stands for Operation Veteran Freedom, but we're veterans. So we love our acronyms. Um, we are a education based company. We help veterans transition from soldier to civilian life and find purpose and camaraderie again after the service. Um, you know, for us, the, the driving force behind creating OVF was we wanted to create something that we wish we had. You know, we wish we had our brothers who had our back and we didn't have to worry about all the scams and bullshit and fake gurus out there on the internet. Um, we wanted someone that we could trust. And so when that didn't exist without a lot of people getting scammed along the way to find it, uh, we decided we would build it. And, you know, we still to this day, we deal with hate because the internet and the, the nature of the beast, you know, everything online is a scam and blah, blah, blah. But the, what really matters to us is that the when we actually get to work with other veterans and, and help them, the results they're able to create are, are phenomenal. And that to us is, is exactly why we do this. You know, I mentioned it earlier in the call. I think I may have, may have lost you, brother. Are you still there? I think we lost him. It says it's still live though. So he might've just popped off the screen. I'll give him a second to pop back on. <clears throat> Hopefully he pops back on. I can just keep talking until he does. Um, so, you know, as I mentioned earlier in the call, uh, OVF, it came from the necessity, the necessity of building something that we were looking for ourselves. Um, you know, when I first got out of the military, I didn't have anything. I didn't have camaraderie. I didn't have purpose. I didn't have a new mission. I didn't have a light at the end of the tunnel. Matter of fact, it was almost the exact opposite. I, I believed that my life was basically over and that I was going to wither away and just take medications and, and rot away. Um, so once I was able to completely change my life using these skills, set myself free, uh, I knew that I had to do everything in my power to help others who were suffering just like me. And so, you know, I think that a lot of great businesses come from the struggle, come from the, the obstacles that, you know, we had to overcome. And that's how OVF was born. OVF was born because I needed something more in my life and I found it. And who am I to keep that from the rest of the veterans who really need it? So uh, Richard's actually messaging me, say his computer crashed. Um, so we will wait. Hopefully you can pop back on. But I'll finish out the, the remaining question for him. And then if he doesn't pop back on by then, we'll we'll just call it. So um, so that's why OVF was started. Liam and I, we wanted to create something that we wish we had. Right. A place that we could trust, a place that we could go and have camaraderie and create success for ourselves with other like minded people who truly had our six and, and wanted to have the tide raise all boats. Um, we are a little bit different in mindset than most people because we don't look at other veterans as competition. We look at them as collaboration, as partners, as people we could grow with, not grow against or, or grow from. Um, and unfortunately, we don't see a lot of that mindset out there anymore, like at all. 
ever. It's very dog eat dog, whether they're veteran on veteran or not. Um, and that's kind of sad to us. So we want to change that stigma. So how do we do that? Well, we have a group here right here on Facebook called the OVF, Operation Veteran Freedom. It's a private group. You have to request to join. But if you're a veteran and you want to build more for yourself through business, then that group is for you. Uh, we're going to ask that you claim your copy of our book, GD214 Secrets. If you claim it through OVF, we'll actually buy the book for you instead of you paying the 2214 on Amazon. And we all we ask is you pay the shipping and we'll ship it right to your door. That's step one for every veteran right there. Those are the five core uh, you know, foundational skills that can create success for anybody. And so that's where you would start. Um, but like Richard says, you know, we have an inner circle. We have other things going on. And so for the existing business owners, for people who are not just in the idea phase of, of starting a business, but actually have a business and are looking to get traction online, to get more attention, to get more sales, actually you know, make that impact that you're looking for in the digital space, we offer more of a more intimate coaching experience, what we call the inner circle. It's a group coaching that meets every week. And we're actually about to launch a brand new 2.0 version of it here next week. So if you guys are a veteran in business and that's what you're looking for, then, uh, oh, you're back, brother. Awesome. I don't know what the heck just happened, but. You're all good. I figured I would finish answering your question. If you pop back on, we were good. If not, I would call it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I was just, you know, sharing that the reason OVF got started is because we need we wanted to build something that we wish we had when we first got out, something that we could trust that was, you know, a step by step Barney style cookie, like just follow the steps and you'll get where you want to go kind of thing. Um, and so that's what we we built. And so shared a little bit about the book, shared a little bit about the inner circle, and here we are. All right, so can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? I can't hear you. Okay. Let me see. Am I muted? Nope. Says I'm not. I don't know what's going on, brother. If you're on your phone, switch it from the earpiece to speaker, and you'll be able to hear me. Right now, the sound's probably only coming through. But I appreciate you. I appreciate everything you've done. You can't hear me. I can't wait to release this episode, brother. I'm so grateful, and I just want to say thank you. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> Love you, brother. Appreciate it. You have a good rest of your night. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.